Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Thinking Theologically, the show where we teach you how and why you should think theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodge, and joined by a resident theologian in training, Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how are you doing? I'm doing good. It's the holiday season now, so... Uh, As evidenced by our not recording yeah, for yeah, several weeks. Way, way too much going on. That's the thing about the holiday season. I think I've mentioned this before. For preachers, I think it's our most busy time, the end of the year, because you've got special things going on. You've got plans for the start of the year. Uh, but at the same time, you get to see family, friends, stuff like that that you normally don't. So there's a mixture of things and emotions and stuff like that, I guess. Uh, my and, whole family's and, coming to my oh, house no. for Christmas, by the way. Oh, great. Uh, so Good. since Christmas is on a now. Sunday and I got I have to work... Yes. They're all coming here. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but they will all be here. And they keep adding people. So, uh, uh see, that's that's where yeah. the that's where the trick is. Yeah, because you have other you have other family nearby, like extended family, not too far. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you could have loads of people. Are they going to have you cook afterwards as well? Well, uh, I know I'm cooking <laughs> on uh, uh, new uh, Christmas uh, Eve. I know I am. Okay. All right. And uh, we normally do kind of like a brunch thing on uh, Christmas Day. So I think that's probably going to be like a all family type of deal. Hmm. Um, everybody kind of chip in. That's good. That's good. We do, uh, we do shrimp of all things. Okay. Okay. I didn't know that <laughs> was a Christmas thing, but okay. It's, it's not, but I think okay. that's kind of the, appeal. it is for y'all though. Like not ham, not turkey, none of that stuff. You know, let's, uh, let's do shrimp. Like, yeah. Okay. Which probably my favorite of all the things. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite nice, quite enjoyable, uh, as weird as it may be. It's a it's a choice that you certainly would not expect. Right. Which, uh, may have something to do with what we're talking about today. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We'll get into that in yeah. just a moment. Uh, you've already seen the title of the episode, Does God Change? Uh, be an interesting conversation for sure, uh, and one that we may have more than one Uh, discussion about. So we'll see. Uh, Our last episode we talked about is Jesus God. That was coming from a a state of theology. Is that the name of the survey? Uh, The state of theology, yeah, by uh, Lifeway Christian. Yeah, so uh, we're continuing with that uh, sort of series where we're looking at the different answers that are given there and then kind of evaluating uh, the question that is asked and the answers that were given and all of this. And uh, I think it'll be rather interesting. So uh, we'll pursue the second one here of Does God Change? Uh, But before we do all of that, I want to remind you of thinkingtheologically.org, where this episode and all of our previous episodes, or at least many of them, uh, and we'll be adding more, uh, are housed, as well as additional articles. We've got uh, at least one thing planned for the Christmas holiday season, uh, and there are a number of other articles that are there Uh, that if you haven't gone to the website, you haven't seen uh, and you've missed out. Uh, We also want to encourage you to like us on Facebook, Thinking Theologically, and you'll be notified when those different types of posts go up, 
podcast articles and all of those good things. Uh, we also need to mention that we are on TikTok and Instagram, yeah? Yeah, yeah, both now, yeah. Yeah, that is Spencer's doing, as we have noted with uh, the ways of contact. I have nothing to do with those places. Yeah, I'm on uh, everything, so... so. Uh, yeah, you can. <laughs> He's find already me. there. It's like, well, I might as well promote the stuff while I'm here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So we've got a. Uh, we're on uh, both uh, TikTok, Instagram under um, uh, Thinking Theologically. So you can find us uh, on both of those platforms and that's also kind of like you mentioned with facebook that's also a place that you could find the stuff that we're doing that's mostly what's Mm. on there is just kind of promoting and talking about um the stuff that we're already doing and already talking about um especially on tiktok the fun thing about tiktok is you know you have other people doing videos and stuff and so when i find stuff that kind of relates to things that we've been talking about uh, I'll kind of, uh, I'll stitch them and add to it and stuff like that. Uh, so, uh, that's been really fun to kind of experiment with. I'll take your word for it. All that stuff. Cause I have so. no idea. I have no idea how those things work. So I'm very much, uh, very much old man. Uh, I, you're the resident theologian. I'm the resident, <laughs> resident old dude. Uh, on the podcast, so I'm I'm uh, <laughs> I mean I'm you're not that much older than me. I'm sometimes I'm wonder if I'm just trying to be young or if I still have some youth in me. I don't I don't know. I think the kids have made me old. I think to some degree, like golf is making you old, uh, where you're just embracing yeah some of those things. But we're still we still have basketball. You and I <laughs> clinging to our youth, uh, though I'm falling apart. Uh, so anyway, uh, we will uh, look forward to seeing you over there on TikTok and yeah. Instagram, Facebook, the website. And uh, we should note as well, uh, strongchurchministries at gmail.com, where you can get a hold of us with comments, questions, criticisms, or just, you know, like positive affirmations. Tell us uh, we did a good we, job. We, we, want, uh, we want all the uh, <laughs> criticism. That's all I want. Just criticize us, please. That's fair. Okay. Yeah. Criticize us, yeah. but leave me a nice little PS. Uh, you're doing a great job, Jack, or something like that. And then, we'll and then criticize me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Today we're talking about does God change? Um, the uh, the survey itself, I believe, was phrased, or the, the question that was asked, uh, God learns and adapts to different circumstances. Spencer, do you want to break down... Uh, what the answers uh, to that survey question were. Yeah, so we, we uh, if you listen to the last episode, we kind of, we would talk about U.S. adults and evangelicals and how they answered these questions. So as you said, the question is God, or the statement is God learns and adapts to different circumstances. And among U.S. adults, uh, 32% agreed with the statement. Uh, so 32% agreed agree that God learns and adapts to different circumstances. Uh, 20% somewhat agree. 17% are not sure. Uh, That's a pretty large percentage, actually, that I noticed of people that just aren't sure uh, whether or not God can learn and adapt to different circumstances. Uh, 8% somewhat disagree, and 23% disagree. So 
kind of what I saw with there among U.S. adults, you've got a very high percentage that don't know. Uh, and then you've got, a, you know, almost a pretty good divide between agree and disagree. You've got more that agree, but it's not, you, you don't have a sharp, it seems to me, uh, difference between those that agree and those that disagree. But you've got a lot that aren't sure. Uh, and among evangelicals, it's kind of the, it looks kind of the same. So among evangelicals, 31% agree that God learns and adapts to different circumstances. 16% somewhat agree. 11% are not sure, 7% somewhat disagree, and 35% strongly disagree. So you, you look in there, you've got 35% that strongly disagree and 31% that agree, that fully agree with it. So that's almost the same percentage of people fully agree with that statement as fully disagree with that statement, right? So you've got people kind of all over the board. You have a lot more extremes under the evangelical side yeah. of really with it or really against it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, oh, and so that's why when I was looking through, I thought, well, this would be not just something that I think is interesting to talk about because I think it's an interesting topic to discuss, Yeah. but uh, people are kind of all over the map on what they think about it too. And so it was like, that seems like something not just interesting, but maybe even important to kind of delve into since people are, seems all kind of all over the place. Um, I can understand why, just U.S. adults generally um, uh, might have their kind of wide range of things. I'm not sure how much this subject is actually discussed. I'm trying to think through, trying to think through my own preaching and teaching, uh, and talking about God and His. Uh, I mean, we're kind of kind of talking about God's nature, but also, mm, yeah. But also not just kind of the God's interaction uh, with His creation, uh, which is consistent with nature, but also, yeah, its own thing uh, to some degree. Uh, and I don't know that I've talked about it very much. Uh, and so the average, I mean, I can understand the average U.S. Uh, adult just not yeah. really knowing because it's not really discussed. Um, but with the evangelicals being a third agree and then a third, you know, strongly disagreeing. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the most interesting thing to me is why the extremes yeah. for those that have been, you would think steeped in it, at least more than anybody else. Well, uh, you have any thoughts on that? Well, it, it seems, I don't want this to come off too negative, but I think that first you mentioned, it's kind of a discussion of the nature of God. Yeah. And I think that is, a daunting task to embark on having a discussion of the nature of God, right? I, I, I don't think most people and even maybe even most ministers are equipped to have that discussion. And it would be a discussion probably for another podcast about why that is, uh, particularly why I think that within ministers. But sure, you think yeah. about within church people as well, right? You know, you have a very good, you know, let's say elder or deacon or someone that is teaching a adult your adult Bible class, right? Well, what, where are they supposed to turn to talk about the nature of God, right? I mean, that's a daunting... Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Like, if someone came to me, I, I don't know where I'd send them. Like, I don't know what resources I'd be like, hey, this, th this will be easy for you to use and follow to talk about the very nature of God. 
uh, right? Because it's since it's God, it's so far beyond us. It's very difficult for us to talk about. Um, but you know, you mix that with so because of that, I think what we normally say in our churches is, well, God doesn't change. I know I've heard that. Yeah. Right? And and we stop there. And so what I find interesting is the way the statement's worded because we t- I titled this "Does God Change," because I think that's the the way we need to think about this question, kind of come out of it and just ask questions about the changingness. Of, I don't know if that's a word, but we're going to go with it. The changingness it now, yeah. of God. Mutability? Is that the that's uh, the million dollar word? Yeah, yeah, you've got immutability and impassibility, <laughs> which I com- I, I think are garbage. Uh, but that's, okay. that's, that's <laughs> I, I, they're, but okay. So there's another interesting thing. Those are rooted in the tradition. So you go back and you read church fathers and stuff like that. Yeah. You've got the immutability and the impassibility of God, uh, which uh, are uh, complete garbage. And here's why. Uh, if God, The idea is God cannot in any way change or be impacted by anything, right? So uh, th- that's what those two mean. You've got one, God can't change, but with that, God can't be impacted. Things other than God can't impact God right? Mm. Well, uh, that leads to a God that can't have relationship, right? Relationship changes a person. You have to change to enter into relationship. It also gives us a God that can't become human. You can't have the incarnation if God can't change because the incarnation is God changing uh, by becoming a human being. So Christianity falls apart if you think through what that, the the God that you're left with. Uh, that's kind of conclusion of this. Uh, we're jumping to the end. Uh, but with that, I think the question's interesting. That's where I was going. Uh, yeah. And- God learns and adapts uh, is a very different question than God changes. I would be interested yeah. if, you at- if you said God changes and that was it. I feel like you would have gotten different responses, but this idea of learning and adapting, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that's kind of what causes confusion because that's more than, as you mentioned, that's God's interaction in the world, God's interaction with people, right? Um, learning, adapting to situations and to people and to circumstances. Um so, yeah, I, I think the phrasing of the question is interesting mixed with the fact that we don't talk about it. So I think you've yeah. got a couple things going on there. Um, I, I do recall a few years ago, and th- this is probably the extent of the uh, of this topic discussion within churches that I've been a part of. Uh, it's always the, the uh, Abraham... Is he Abram at this time? Um, the discussion over Sodom and Gomorrah and all this, the the fifty righteous people, and then kind of working it down, and that question always comes up, like, okay, well, is God changing his mind here? Is that what this is? Does he not actually change his mind? And I don't mm-hmm. think this is one of the texts that we have that we're looking at today. It is. Uh, okay, fantastic. It is. I've got uh, it. Here. But go ahead and <laughs> jump into it. Yeah, we'll yeah. we'll go back. That, we'll come back to it then. That'll but trans- just kind of this. That's not a know, bad transition. It, so yeah, just go uh, with it. that's true. But it is yeah. Um, 
Yeah, is he actually changing his mind or does he know we can take this down as far as you want, Abram, but at the end of the day, this is what's going to happen because I know that there's only this many here uh, and uh, it's more yeah. of a learning thing for Abram. Like there, that's that's where that goes. And ultimately it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, could be either one. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> it just tends to be where it's left. And so it doesn't surprise me that you do kind of have people that will either fall very hard on that's absolutely what that is, or that's absolutely not what it is. It's this thing over here. God's going to do what he's going to do. And Abram isn't changing anything here and all of that. Um, and then you have all these people in between of like, well, I guess it could go either way, but I'm not going to think about it right. anymore. Right. Um, so I don't, I don't know if you want to jump because I brought that up. If you want to yeah. go into the yes before the no. Yeah. Let's just jump uh, into uh, uh, Abraham bargaining with God for Sodom. Uh, okay. Genesis, yeah, go for it. Genesis 18, 16 through 33 is that text. And that's, well, but you, you brought up, I, I think this is another reason why people are kind of confused on the topic is because scripture seems to be confused. Uh, you know, yes, it's not uh, confused. here. I want to remind you that we do believe the text is inspired and we've done yes. a episode yeah. on that yeah. or more. We, so. Yeah. We, so I, <laughs> I, we're saying. yeah, I've got to watch my language <laughs> and, uh, that, Maybe that's not even the best way to say that. There are uh, things that might appear to be yeah, so conflicting at, at first read. So I was yeah. the 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 other day I, I was preaching about where we go when we die, mm. uh, and I was talking about Tartarus, and I mentioned yes. that that was a word that was found in Greek myth where the Titans were uh, condemned. You can see yeah. it in the name Titans Tartarus, uh, and so I it's a st- stolen word. And that's the way I said. I said sure. we we uh, Jews stole the word to talk about fallen angels because they're like, hey, it's kind of similar. The story of the Titans is kind of similar uh, to what Jews in the first century believed was happening in Genesis six with the fall of angels. Right, right. Uh, so they stole the world word. Uh, and I had a, a lady that came up to me afterwards, uh, and she was kind of bothered that I said stole because she was like, I don't like the idea of the Holy Spirit stealing something. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I was like, you know, that's not the worst point I've I've ever heard. That's not what I meant. I'm like, you know, maybe Re- borrowed, maybe borrowed would have been yeah. a better word. Uh, but I, I think stole kind of brings the emphasis. You know, I like. It's kind of <laughs> like what, what what Paul does when he uses the Greek word skubala, um, when he talks about he counts his life rubbish. Yes. Because of the surpassing yes. worth of knowing, he he uses a word that would have caught people's attention. Uh, so I'm just following in the footsteps of uh, uh, Father Paul. There um, you go. <laughs> uh, anyways, so, I, I'm going to be Abraham. murdered by the end of this episode. Uh, okay, so Genesis 18, uh, 16 through 33. Yeah, we get this this story of Abraham bargaining for Sodom, and it's. Uh, it's interesting because, like I said, it seems that we we get differing perspectives in Scripture, right? And so we get some texts like this that seem to suggest, well, maybe God can at least change his mind, right? Maybe God can learn and adapt to certain situations because that kind of seems to be what he's doing um, in this story. Uh, so I, I find it v- very interesting. It begins with the with God saying, "Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do?" So mm-hmm. God's mm-hmm. already decided. 
right? He's already decided what he's going to do. God says, I'm about to do this. Should I hide it from Abraham and keep Abraham from knowing what I'm about to do? And he decides to tell Abraham, right? Then Abraham bargains with him. Well, if there's 50 people in the city that that are righteous, God, would you destroy Sodom? Because God's wanting to destroy them because of how evil they are. God says, well, no. Uh, If there were 50, I wouldn't. And Abraham kind of keeps working down until he gets to 10. Uh, And God says, yeah, if there was even 10 righteous people in the city, I wouldn't destroy it. Uh, So it seems that God is at least open to changing his mind. Right? You you could argue that God already knew that there weren't. And so he's just playing this game to satisfy Abraham. And that's a possibility. I mean, that's not out of the realm of of possibility. But it does seem that God is open to changing his mind, right? Because I think one problem we get into is we want to make passages like this fit what we already believe, right? And it's like, it's not that it doesn't mean that, but the text also doesn't say that, and it doesn't have to mean that God's just playing a game to make Abraham happy. Right, right. It, it doesn't say that the the text is written in a way that almost makes us want to believe that God is actually open to changing His mind. Maybe He is, maybe He isn't. Um, but the other text that I have written down here that seems to support that God can and does change His mind, and this is one that's much harder to deal with, I think. Um, yes, is Exodus thirty-two uh, when Moses bargains with God. If you remember, Moses uh, has been on top of Mount Sinai uh, interacting with God, and the people kind of get bored, and then they wonder, you know, maybe they think Moses died, something like, he, he's not coming yeah. back, right? <laughs> Moses has been up there so long, he, he's not coming back. Uh, so what do we do? Well, they build the golden calf. Uh, what's interesting about the golden calf, we're not primarily talking about the golden calf, but... It's probably not an idol like we think of, like them worshiping the calf. It might have been something more of they built it for God to come and rest upon. Right, because uh, that's what, yeah, idols were. So yeah. that that's kind of what the, the idols were thought. They're not gods in and of themselves. But you can imagine Moses is up there with God, and it's like they haven't seen or heard from any either one of them. Right. right. Build a calf, maybe God will come down. Moses is dead up there. God killed him. And maybe uh, God will come down and sit on the calf and interact with us again. Uh, so that's probably what you have going on there. Um, they uh, and then it says that they uh, they build this calf. They sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play or rose up to revel, depending on your translation. Yeah, uh, that is uh, probably not good. Yeah, I don't know what language we're allowed not allowed to use on this podcast, but that's probably mm. a reference to like an orgy or something. Like that, that they weren't just having a Church of Christ potluck at the base <laughs> of the mountain. Uh, there was a lot of questionable things going on down there, which is why God gets so mad. Right? God, after all yeah, this happens, all sorts of problems. Yeah, He tells Moses to go down at once uh, because I, I'd love this. He says, "Your people." It's like it's not God's people anymore. It, it's kind of like a. When, your, when your kid is yeah, misbehaving, yeah, it's 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 <laughs> yeah. it's parents. One says to the other, "You need to go take care of your kid." You know, it's your not son. kids misbehaving. It's not my kid right now. Yeah. That's kind of what God does. The people aren't mine, uh, Moses. They're your people. 
look at the way your people are, are acting. Uh, go down and deal with that. So Moses and God come down from the mountain. Uh, and God decides he's just going to wipe out all of Israel and he's going to start over again with Moses. Yeah, very uh, very flood terminology. Yeah. Very Noah, let's just do it over again. Yeah, he's decided, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And Moses is like, eh, God, I don't think that's the best idea. Uh, <laughs> he says, uh, God, th- just think about it f- for a minute. Uh, how would you look if you just led these people out here to kill them? And that's actually what he says. He's like, what, what would yep. the Egyptians think of you having gone through everything that you went through to set them free, just to bring them out here into the desert and kill them. He said, you wouldn't look very good, God. And God's like, uh, Moses, you got a point there. Uh, maybe this isn't the best idea. And uh, God changes his mind. And what's interesting, after that encounter, verse 14 of 32, this is the way the NRSV reads. Uh It actually says that God changes his mind. That's the way they translate it. It says, And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on the people. Uh, The NIV here says that the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. And that's very similar uh, to the ESV says, And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Now, what's even more interesting is the word relented or to change one's mind is a word uh, that is used a lot of the time to talk about uh, repenting. Yeah, Uh, which is not an indication of sin. No, but just to turn, right? God God repented, God turned. And but, but think about what that means. To repent means, right, you're going in one direction and you turn and start going in the opposite direction. You make a yeah. 180. Uh, so God, it's not that God just says this and never planned to do it. That's not the language here. God was set. God was moving in that direction and decided to make a 180 and start going in the other direction. Um, and when you actually look up this word, it can mean some other things. I find this fascinating. It can mean to regret or to be sorry. God, God it's God... Think about if you translated it that way. God regretted having decided to kill the people. Mm. That's the that's the flood language. I think as uh, I believe that word is there uh, when he uh, looks at the creation and sees the evil. Which again, this is a very similar text to that in a lot of its story beats. If you want to look at it that way, uh, but this word is there too. But at so you've got God changing his mind. But you also have God having emotion, you know, which, so you yeah. go to like the immutability and impassibility. Well, God is being changed and affected by people. Even if you argue he's not changing his mind, he's having an emotional response. Yeah. Which you can't have in a God that cannot change and cannot be impacted by anything other than God. Um, can't happen. But the question becomes, right, how do you mix that with other passages that seem to suggest that God cannot change or be affected by other people? Before we go there, um, just to, to note with the Exodus 32 passage, right, like after, after this instance where we stop there 14 of okay, the, the relenting or repenting, the changing of mind here, then you have Moses come down, and as he's approaching— we see a very clear change in his mind too, where now he he gets angry, where before he was not angry, God was. Uh, and so he kind of talks God down and then comes down and goes, oh, 
I get what we're angry about here. Uh, and then Moses ends up <laughs> grinding up the calf, drink this, and they kill a bunch of people uh, there at the camp. Uh, and so you have, if you were going to, and the reason I bring this up, if you were going to say, well, God definitely didn't change his mind when he went from, I'm going to destroy them to, I'm not going to. Uh, but those same people would say, Moses definitely changed his mind from, we mm. shouldn't destroy them to, I'm going to yeah. destroy these people. Uh, then being consistent with what is being presented to us, we'd have to say, okay, well, Moses isn't changing his mind. He always intended to bring destruction, but then you have a lot of problems with that. Uh, and so you have God and Moses switching positions uh, in in the way that they approach this whole situation here. Mm-hmm. God, who knows what's going on down there, has this anger uh, over the unrighteousness. Moses doesn't know it, so he doesn't feel that way, talks God down, uh, it appears. And then Moses comes down and he sees it for himself and he goes, I get it. I get the anger now, and now I'm going to do the things that you said you were going to do before. Uh, and they go from there. Uh, so it's it's very difficult, as you said when you started this, like this this particular text presents a problem with the idea that, no, God doesn't change his mind. God does not uh, emotionally interact with his people within relationship. Uh, and I think that's really where a lot of this comes down to is the relational aspect of God is going to have to involve uh, some degree of if you don't want to use change, uh, adaptation, which is change, but uh, maybe a little clearer of a word, I don't know. But in both this situation and the Abram situation, it's the people with whom God has a relationship, Israel here, but specifically uh, Moses and specifically Abraham of these are my people and... I don't want to see them destroyed. I want a different outcome for them, but they're doing this. And so I've, my nature says to do this, but my nature also says, you know, mercy uh, alongside justice. And so you have what seem to be choices being made here. Uh, and that's what, that's what makes these texts so difficult, uh, especially the Exodus 32, as they seem to give us uh, this layout of, yeah, I know God does change. Uh, But then before I got on all of this, uh, Spencer, you were talking about the passages that very blatantly (laughs) say, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. Uh, You want to start going through those? Uh, Yeah. Uh, These are the the passages that that a lot of people, I think, like to go to when they talk about this, say that God doesn't change. Uh, So I've got three here. I'll just read them real quick because they're pretty straightforward. There's not much to talk about here. Uh, In Malachi 3, verse 6, God says, For I, the Lord, do not change. I mean, there There you go. There you have it. Um, (laughs) And that, yeah, that's, that's from the NRSV that translated Exodus 32, 14, and the Lord changed. So you want to talk about... Uh, the scripture can't make up its mind. That's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, for I, the Lord, do not change. Malachi 3, 6. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ, who we believe is God, right, is the same mm-hmm. yesterday and today and forever. Implicit in that is that he does not change. If he's the right. same yesterday, today, and forever, then he does not change. Yeah. Uh, James 1, 17. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 
So again, we've got God not changing. Uh, so what do we do? <laughs> yeah. What, no wonder people are confused. Yeah. Uh, the, like I like the blasphemous statement I made earlier, scripture's a bit confused. Uh, <laughs> so I get it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, just even that first one, I, the Lord, do not change. Um, I mean, we, we said before you read them, okay, these are rather straightforward. Here's, you know, what, what they say. No, no changing, same, yesterday, today, forever, uh, with this eternal, here's, here's who he is. Uh, no variation, no shadow due to change, all this stuff. Uh, but then we have, okay, with Abraham, with Moses, with his people, they're in the interacting, seemingly going different directions. And so how how might we try to reconcile? Uh, and maybe maybe you don't have a good answer for this. <laughs> uh, how might we try to reconcile uh, these passages that are very clear on one end of not changing, but then also this changing in... Uh, relationship with people and how that interaction goes based on that relationship. Um, how can we start to maybe try to figure out what to do with all of that? Uh, so this is the way I deal with it. For those of you listening, this is kind of what we're going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to talk a little bit about the way that I deal with it. Uh, then I think Jack's going to talk a little bit about the way he deals with it. Slightly uh, different, which are but not close, yeah. but not. Yeah. We don't exactly land in the same place in the way that we deal with this, which is, yeah. uh, uh, I think, a good thing, not a not a bad thing, uh, because there's questions like these are, are difficult, and there's not always one satisfactory way that it can be dealt with. There's a lot of the times yeah. multiple yeah. possibilities for dealing with it, uh, and you know we don't have to agree on everything. Uh, we're still believing and talking about the same God, regardless of how we try to deal with the this problem of the changingness of God. So I, I'm going to kind of just lump everything together here. I, I think I would start with, um, I would want to first differentiate God's actions in relationship from the, the essence of God. Uh, so, uh, the essence of God, I would say, is kind of the core of God. It, what It's what makes God God. It's the things without which God wouldn't be God. Uh, when Jack and I were talking about this before, I what did I say? The, the godness of God? <laughs> the godness of God, yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, <laughs> the essence is the godness of God. Uh, you can quote me on that, uh, anyone listening. The, the godness <laughs> of God is the... I get that on TikTok. <laughs> is, his, is his essence. <laughs> Yeah, that's going all over social media by the time we're done with this. I'm, Beautiful. Uh, but, the, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the, the essence is without which God's not God. So I, I think the Trinity would be a part of that. God's core is Father, Son, and Spirit, right? Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. Love, uh, I, I think there's a loving relationship that exists within the Trinity. You know, you, you take that out, God's God's no longer God. Um, uh, you have... Uh, you know, God's all-powerful, right? If God isn't all-powerful, God's not God. Whoever's more powerful than God now is God. And, you know, you could keep on going with those kinds of... Uh, God's all-knowing. 
God's omniscient. Everything that can be known, God knows. Right? Without any of those things, God's not God. Or, right? Um, but yeah. if you think about there being levels of Godness, I guess you could say, uh, you, you, you <laughs> have did. those, you have the essence, the, the, the Godness of God there in the middle, without which God's not God. Uh, but you, you can kind of work out from there. And if you think of that kind of being a circle, you've got a slightly bigger circle around that. That's then what I would call um, God's, the characteristics of God's economic life. The things that we know about God based on what God does. So I think a prime example is God as creator. Right? God's still God if he's not creator. If God never created anything, God would still be God. Um, but the fact that God has acted to create, we can talk about part of who God is, is God is creator because he has done that, right? So it's not as core as the essence because God could still be God having not created. But the fact that he does, we can't talk about God without talking about God as creator. Um, and you could go on with there. You think of God being uh, omnipresent. So God's present everywhere. Uh God would still be God if he wasn't. And by that, I mean God could have not created anything. He wouldn't be omnipresent because there's nothing to be omnipresent in, right? Uh, he'd sure. still be God. Uh, I mean, you could even think about the deist view. God created and pulled back and doesn't have anything to do. That might be a possibility. I, I don't think it is the way that I believe about what it means for things to exist. But, I mean, maybe somewhere you could get there. Um God would still be God. Um, but you also think about things like God is patient, God is merciful, God is gracious. That's the way God is in relationship with his creation. But again, God could have no relationship, the deist view, or God could have never created. God's still not God. But the fact that he did create and that he does have relationship, we see those characteristics of God as well. And God's always going to act in that way. God is always going to act as an omnipresent God. He's always going to act as creator God. He's always going to act as the patient and the merciful and the gracious God, right? It, it, they're, so they're still core. They're still part of who God is. They're still part of God's nature. God's not going to act any other way. But there's kind of levels of how core these characteristics are of God. Um, and so those things, I would say, don't change, right? God is sure. always Trinity. God is always love. God is always uh, all-powerful and all-knowing uh, and uh, all-present. God is always holy and righteous. God is always patient and merciful and gracious. God is always the creator. Those things never change. And so I think when we look at the passages that talk about God not changing, I think that's what they talk about. The the essence, the, the those, those two level of core of who God is, God's godness, if you will, never changes. But okay. yeah. I think we can also talk about who God is, not only in his essence, not only in his economic life, not only in his relationship, but we can also talk the way that God acts in relationship, in relation to people. Um, maybe you think about it about God's providence, the way that God acts in the world. Right? I okay, would argue yeah. that that 
does change. That that aspect of God, in the words of the survey, I would say I think that can learn and adapt to different circumstances. Um, God's that godness of God doesn't. So God is still even when He's changing what He's doing in the world. He's still operating as a God of love, as a God that's Trinity, as a God that's merciful and holy and all that. But the actions that he makes do change. And so I think that's where we can start thinking about God changing his mind, changing his mind on what actions he's going to take, about God learning and adapting in the way that he does act in the world. Um, And that's kind of built on... Uh, my belief in what's called open theism. Uh, Open theism, I think, is a way to deal with this question of God changing. I think it's also a way to deal with the problem between God's sovereignty and human free will, right? If God is sovereign, if God is all-powerful, and God always gets what God wants, how can we say that human beings actually have free will, But we want to say humans have free will. If that's so, then God doesn't always get what God wants. How is God all powerful? And you, so you have that dynamic. And I think open theism helps solve all that. Um, Open theism states that the future is open. Uh, That is, uh, the future is not set. Therefore, God does not know the future. Because the future is not something to be known. Uh, the future, if the future is something to be known, if it was like a videotape that you could go pull off the shelf and watch, which is sometimes the way we talk about God, or if it's like a book that God could open up and read about what's going to happen in the future. If the future was a thing out there like that, if it was set, if it was a thing that God could go and know then we wouldn't have free will, I don't think. Because it's already set. The, the book's written, the, the sh- video's made, it's set. But if the future is open, that is, the decisions that we as human beings make determine the future, determine where we're going moving forward, uh, then that's something that God doesn't know because it can't be known, because it doesn't exist yet. It hasn't happened yet. Um, I explain it to people like this. So I have a sister, and that's the only other siblings I have. One sister. But I'll say to people, does God know my brother? Well, I think the answer has to be no because my brother doesn't exist. God can't know something that does not exist. God being all-knowing means that God knows everything that is possible to be known. But it doesn't mean that God knows things that do not exist. So if the future is open, if it's not an actual thing to be known, if, because it hasn't happened yet, then it's something that doesn't exist. It's something that God can't know because it's not there yet. But God being all-knowing and all-powerful, I think within that does mean that God then knows all of the possible futures. He knows everything that could possibly happen. And God has plans, in essence, I think, to work within all of those possibilities to bring about God's purposes. God still gets what God wants, even if we choose to do the complete opposite. God's got a way of working within the mistakes that we as human beings make to still bring about his purposes. All things work together for good. 
Paul says. God's working is going to work through no matter what it is to bring about good. Uh, so God knows all the possible futures. And I think that God knows us as human beings so well that he knows the probable future or the probable futures with a pretty good deal of accuracy. Uh, it's, I've explained this. It's kind of like most parents know that if you put their child in a certain situation, they know how they're going to react just because they know the child so well. Sometimes the child might surprise them and do something different, do something abnormal, but that doesn't happen very often, right? I think you could say the same thing with God only to an even greater extent because God knows us even better than a parent knows their child. And I think what that leaves us with is a couple things. One, my personal opinion, I think that leaves us with a more powerful God because God's able to work within every possible future to bring about good. I think that also raises the importance of our human decisions. It really does matter, the decisions that we as human beings make in God's overall plan. It's almost like you can think about, we can actually make it easier on God to bring about new creation by the decisions that we make. So our decisions become important. I think God becomes more powerful. Uh, but I think that deals with these, also with these times of uh, when God seems to change his mind, right? So you take something like with Moses. God's coming, they're coming down from Mount Sinai. God knows all the possible futures, and he's decided this is what I'm going to do. This is the direction we're going to go. I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to start again. That's a possible future, and God would still bring about his purposes if that happened. But Moses changes God's mind. And that goes back to God being in relationship. You talk about learning and adapting. I think that's what happens in relationship. I think we learn through relationship. We can You better know a person by being in relationship with them. God can know everything about a person, but there's a different level of knowing by having a relationship with them. And it seems to me that that has to be true for God too. It's kind of like when before a husband and wife get married, they know a lot about each other, but there's a different level of knowing that comes when you're married and that continues to grow. Uh, it seems to me that our relationship with God continues to, to grow, that God is impacted, that God does have emotions, that God can change his mind based upon his relationships with people. The Godness of God, again, doesn't change. But the way that God works within these possible futures does change. And so I think what's going on in that story is God's decided, this is the future I'm going with. Moses, because of the intimacy that comes with relationship, brings about an emotional response in God where God changes his mind and says, you know, I'm going to go with these, uh, this other possible future. I can bring about my plan doing this as well. And this is what Moses wants. And I have an intimate relationship with Moses. I love Moses. Going back to God's essence, God's a God of love. I love Moses, and I'm going to do this for him. I'm going to change. I'm going to make a different decision. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to choose this future instead, uh, which is actually produced from God's essence because God's acting out of love. But it also shows that in God's actual activity or providence within the world, he can change and do different things. So my, uh, well, we'll start it this way. To your point about the marriage thing, uh, I was reading yesterday um, a book uh, on marriage, and one of the chapters dealt with um, 
uh, persevering uh, through it. It's uh, the book is I want to say Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. It's been very good. Uh, nearly done with it. Um, but in this particular chapter, it talked about the neuroplasticity that is developed within a marriage relationship after about seven or eight years. Um, and then talked about uh, giving up on that relationship, divorce, and all of those things, and that people who find themselves within uh, second marriages or more uh, will automatically default to, okay, she has reacted this way. I know where this goes. Like, well, she's an entirely different person, but the reason you think you know where this goes is because you've developed this tight brain relationship with your previous wife. Like, you're, that, that just speaks to your whole relationship building. Um, and I'm not saying that God's neuroplasticity develops or something like that. That's not what I'm talking about. That's, but this, a, good, that, that's a good article title, The Neuroplasticity of <laughs> Uh, I'll let you write that one, um, but we, but but that idea of the longer time goes on between two people, the relationship and uh, how two or more people may function within a very close relationship does change uh, over time. Yeah, uh, between people certainly, uh, but that seems to be the case between God and. Uh, Israel and his handling of them as a nation, and as we noted the Abraham relationship, the Moses relationship. Uh, and then I want to read one here. It's like 14 verses, but I want to read it all because I don't want to butcher it. Um, but it speaks to your point and also where I'm at. Uh, and then I'll talk about kind of where we deviate a little bit uh, in the thought process. But this involves David, uh, who, of course, is another uh, major role player within the lineage of Christ and promise uh, of the covenants extended through David and all of this. Um, this is 1 Samuel 23, the first 14 verses. Very interesting section uh, that I think is is worth the, the read and, and further study. Now they told David, behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah. I'm sure that's not how it's pronounced. <laughs> and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again. And the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah, fought with the Philistines, and brought away uh, their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Even if we just stop there, we have two questions asked of the Lord from David. The Lord gives uh, answers here. Uh, go and attack and save the city. And then the men are not sure uh, about all this. So he inquires again and the Lord says, yeah, you're going to win. I will give the Philistines into your hand. That is not the first time that we've seen this wartime discussion of uh, you know, with Joshua reaching out to God and God saying, yeah, I'm giving them into your hand. You, they've already been given into your hand. You know, it's over before it's even started here. Uh, and so you have God knowing something uh, that hasn't yet occurred, but that's how it's going to play out. Uh, picking back up in verse 6, when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Keilah, uh, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had 
come to Keilah. And Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him and said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then said David, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Uh, so we have another question posed to the Lord here by David. Uh, I need to finish that. O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. We get a response. And the Lord said, he will come down. So Saul will come down to the city, uh, you know, as he's heard. Uh, then David said, will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Uh, so he's, again, you know, I'll give them into your hand. They will give you into his hand. I mean, it's just uh, God knows how this is going to play out. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah. They went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds, in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. Uh, so that phrase of giving into hand is throughout that section quite a bit in different ways. Uh, but that's an interesting section, that second half of uh, inquiring of the Lord. Uh, and you have God saying, yeah, you're going to defeat the Philistines here. I, I will give them into your hands. So they go and do that thing, uh, knowing that they'll be victorious and they are victorious. Uh, and then Saul enters the equation of thinking that this is a scenario where uh, God is giving David into his hand. Uh, and David, hearing about all this, asks God, "Is how is this going to play out? Is he going to come down? Am I going to be given up into Saul, into his hand? And the Lord says, yes, he will come down, is the phrase that we're given, uh, and they will give you into his hand. And then the text says, so David and the men leave. It doesn't happen. Uh, Saul pursues him, but he never goes down to the city, and he pursues him and is never given into his hand. Uh, but the text were told, yeah, that's how this will work. So they just leave the city. And it's just a very interesting example, and I th this is what you said as well, so we're both on the same page. Um, this is an example of God knowing a potential future that ultimately does not play out, uh, which is just very interesting. Um, the part where we deviate uh, is, I would say, to this, especially with uh, God's purposes being uh, achieved regardless uh, of David not being given into his hand, which is this purpose here of God, this protection of David. Uh, as we'll see later, uh, it's in the next chapter that David has an opportunity to take out Saul and does not, and uh, all that goes on. And with David not being given into Saul's hand, part of God's purpose, that's going to be accomplished regardless uh, of whatever path is pursued. Even if, even if I would say they remain in the city, Saul comes, they give David up, David's going to get out somehow, David's going to, because that's the purpose of God. It's just going to be achieved in a different way uh, than how we actually see it play out. Some of that may be speculative, but I think I think we're probably on that same page. The only thing that is different for me is God knowing all possible futures, outcomes, whatever that 
uh, phrasing may be. Uh, he knows all those things, but he also knows, I would say, which path we will go down. Uh, I don't see that as a violation of free will. David still chose to leave. Uh, I would just say God knew that he was going to choose to leave uh, after the information he had been given. Uh, and I think you would say, and I'll turn this back over to you, I think you'd say he had a pretty good idea that David was going to leave based on that information of, oh, they're going to give me up? Well, we better go. Uh, and maybe there was an opportunity for David to go, ah, let's see how it plays out <laughs> and surprise God by sticking around. Um, but I think you'd say uh, God would uh, God, God would have a very good idea of, yeah, when I tell David how this will work, he's going to choose to leave uh, because he knows David well uh, within that relationship. Is that right? Yeah, I, I think I would say that uh, God generally always knows what we're going to do. But for for me, I think free will opens up to at least the possibility of God sometimes being surprised, of us choosing something that it doesn't make any sense for us to to choose, and yet God still uses that to bring about his purposes. So... Uh, like you said, we're, that that puts us in like the two sides of the same line. Like we're standing at the almost the same point, you know. Yeah, uh, I, I would just open it up a little bit more to us doing things that God maybe didn't necessarily see coming. But again, we have to understand that that's different than us not seeing something coming, right? God knows sure. all the possible futures, uh, and he, He's not going to be extremely surprised, but. You know, it, it's almost like maybe God is says, you know, well, oh, that's different. You know, maybe yeah, every yeah. once in a while God has a reaction like that. Like, oh, that's different. That's new. Um, okay, that's fine. We had a plan for that. Uh, you know, and so it's, it's, it's a weird space to get into because God's God and he's kind of beyond us. So this whole idea of the way that God relates to possible futures is very different than we do, right? Because we can put together possible futures, right? You know, it's like, well, if I do this, this person could react in this way or that way or this way. And here's how I'm going to respond if they do this or they do that or they do this over here. And we open ourselves up to sometimes being surprised, right? I think they're going to do this and they end up doing that. But that's still very different than God's relationship to that. Uh, but yeah, yet we're stuck with our human language, so we have to kind of describe it uh, in that way. Um, uh, and by the way, the city's pronounced, I think, uh, this is completely unimportant, but Kila, I think... Uh, that's better, because I thought I was Kila. saying an alcoholic drink Kila. every time I read it. Uh, they went to Kila. Uh, like, wow, okay. They're wow. rising up to play I, too. And that's, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, so it, the, the, this one of the problems when we translate stuff, uh, transliterate stuff yes. into to Hebrew, that E is a Shiva. That's okay. not, that's pronounced like an uh. It's not an actual E, but it's an uh, and it's not always pronounced. <laughs> so I think in this one, it's, Fair enough. it's a silent Shiva uh, because you have the, the I coming. Uh, next, so hmm. I think it's Kila. Uh, uh, so there's no. Anyways, uh, I'm, he, Hebrew's not completely my thing, but I believe. Well, it's not mine either. <laughs> I, I believe that's how you pronounce it. I, I believe it's Kila. 
Hey, good to know. Good to know. So there you go. Well, here's here's what we do uh, where you and I both come down on the same side of all of this uh, is God's godness. His his nature is going to be what it is uh, yesterday, today, forever. The, he is love. He's uh, going to pursue the uh, the the things to bring us to him uh, without sin. He, he's going to go about dealing with unrighteousness, all of this. Like those ideas are... Uh, regularly repeated throughout Scripture, uh, and David and Abraham and Moses are all a part of that plan. Um, and so, we, we God is going to be who He's going to be always. Uh, but then there is the relational aspect of all of that, as is of how does He bring those things about uh, when He's interacting with people that uh, will make good choices or make stupid choices, uh, which is repeatedly done. Uh, and how is he going to respond and work uh, within all of those things uh, to bring about that purpose? Because we know that he does. Um, w- what changes there? And then you look at the the Exodus passage, the the Genesis passage that we talked about today, uh, and there's some others as well. Uh, but where there's where there seems to be clearly indicating like God is still who He is and going about what He's going to go about. But the way that he'll address it, uh, instead of wiping Israel out, is I'm going to handle it this way. Uh, and either way, uh, if God had wiped all of Israel out, his plan was still, Moses, through you, I'm going to bring about this purpose. Moses says, well, why don't we just bring about that purpose through the people we got here? Uh, which ultimately doesn't happen, by the way, because they all die off in the wilderness. <laughs> uh, so maybe that's maybe that's an element of all of this, too. But uh, either way, who God is is going to remain the same. There does seem to be, in a number of places, God changing because of his relational aspect uh, with all of us. And from the Samuel passage that we read here for Samuel 23, God does have understanding of how things may go, whether or not they come to pass, uh, which... It's just a very intriguing idea. So we know that that's there too. Um, now, as far as does God know what we're going to choose or does God just have a pretty good idea of what we're going to choose? Either way, God knows what he's doing and going to bring about without shadow of a doubt. He's going to bring about uh, his purposes. And that includes, as you said at the end of your uh, your uh, talk earlier, uh, that includes us and our choices and our movement uh, in this world, uh, either with him uh, on his team uh, or against him. Uh, either way, God's going to work through all that stuff uh, and bring about his purposes. Yeah, I, I, uh, in, in the way that, that I think about it, I like, I just got done teaching the story of Ruth. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And we were discussing... The, where we see God, God acting and where we see the importance of people's decisions in that story. Yeah. And I said, it's interesting to me when you read, God is never an explicit actor, right? So he, he right. God's mentioned, but he's never talked about explicitly as doing something or causing something. Um, um, other than... Uh, at the the beginning, the whole famine thing, God has a role in that, right? Um, but I mentioned it seems to me w- when you read through that story that God is 
you, we see God's actions primarily at the beginning and the ending of the story. So God yeah. sets the story in motion, and he has a conclusion that he's leading to, towards. We're moving towards King David. That's the way the story ends. Yeah. But it seems to me that it's the decisions of the characters in the story that move it along from beginning to end. So God sets the stage, and but it's the decisions of the people in the story that move it from beginning to end. And so it would seem to me, in, in my way of understanding uh, the future being open in that way, is that God would have got us to King David regardless, right? The beginning and the end of the story were set, in essence. God, God, yeah. God knew where we were going to end up and all the possible ways that we could have ended up there. But in that story, I think it's an example of uh, Ruth and Boaz made it really easy for God uh, yes. uh, be, because yeah. they chose to be faithful. And that quickly and easily moved the story along to where God would have gotten it anyways. How God would have done that if they chose to act differently, I don't know, but God would have done it somehow. Somehow we still would have ended up with David. Uh, But that whole middle part was up to the decisions of the people. Uh, And so if anything, no matter where you fall on this, if I could push anything, it's that our relationship with God and the decisions that we make are important. Whether God knows what those are going to be beforehand or not. I think that's an important application point to realize. But then to to realize that, yeah, God God did become a human being. God does have a relationship with us, and that does cause change in some way. God's not just this static being, but he's a relational being, and relationship causes change. Uh, Like you said, how that works, how we understand God knowing multiple futures, how we understand God knowing what we're going to do, how we think about God learning and adapting, we can debate about that. Um, but we, we can say that there's this, that there's that godness of God that doesn't change. And at the same time, God's a relational being. So you have God's activity in some way does God is impacted some way by the relationships that he has with us. Yeah. God, God works with us and desires our working with him to bring about these end purposes. He doesn't disregard us to say, no, 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 I've got a thing that I'm doing. So you know, who cares about you? Uh, it's very much the relationship on the way to the the goal of the uh, the unchanging goal of the unchanging God may affect how long it takes, <laughs> um, honestly. And that might be another discussion. We may need to do this again. It's funny, uh, and the notes may change when we actually put them on the website, uh, but the notes themselves under the open theism part for you and me it's like, hey, the notes are kind of open. I said, yeah, that's kind of the point is <laughs> this could go longer. Uh, we don't really know where this is well, going to go. And we're open to whichever future God chooses. There uh, we go. So, I mean, <laughs> we I'm, may just, have I'm just going where the spirit leads. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we're all in agreement on, on that part of God wants to work with us and have us work with him uh, to bring about uh, this no, no greater outcome. Uh, there could be than uh, the new heavens, new earth, where righteousness dwells. Right, this mm, this mm-hmm. the resurrection body on the on, on the new creation. Uh, that's where this is going. Um, now, as to how long that's going to take or what that's going to look like on the way there, uh, I I do think we have some part of all of that. Of well, uh, our 
what are Christians going to be doing or what, uh, how active are we going to be? Or does a generation need to die in the wilderness and the next one rises up before the promised land uh, is attained? Uh, I think that's very much a real part of this as well. So I don't know how clear we made that for all of the people that were listening today. I'm sure we made um, it worse, but it's fine. But I think, I think if nothing else, uh, aside from our application there, uh, we can understand why the, not just with U.S. adults, but with evangelicals, there is this, uh, there is this spreading across the board of, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to yeah. answer this uh, because it's not, not as black and white as uh, we may want this to be. Uh, but that's part of thinking theologically is sitting down with the tough stuff and wrestling with it. Uh, to try to to try to understand and ultimately uh, at the end uh, just understand that God knows what He's doing, uh, where this is where this is going, and, and uh, getting, we're along for the ride. Getting into the mess and the gray and the mystery, and I think thinking theologically teaches us to that it's okay to stay there. Like yeah. I. I I don't think we, in our discussion, I don't think we came out of the the messiness with an answer, and that's okay. Uh, I yeah. like going back to the name Israel means one who wrestles with God, and I think that's what we as the church ought to be doing. It, our life is a, a wrestle with God, trying to understand all of these things, and you don't ever get out of it. You don't, you don't ever come yeah. out to a... Very rarely do you ever come out to an easy black and white answer. It's always, well, let's learn how to dwell in the gray. Um, and this is a prime example because we're talking about the very nature of God. We're never going to get Absolutely. out of the, the gray. Uh, but that's what it means to do theology. Absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, that's this episode. I'm not sure what the next one will be. Uh, we'll uh, maybe potentially be pursuing the... Uh, more of the statistics where we may hold off. I think we'll have one, maybe maybe two more episodes before the end of the year, but we'll kind of just see how all of that stuff goes. Getting close to getting close to Christmas, and we'll have some uh, some additional things, at least on the website, uh, if not uh, here through the podcast. Uh, as always, you can reach us everywhere, uh, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter still, uh, email at strongchurchministries at gmail.com and as always check out thinkingtheologically.org for all of our stuff and bonus stuff uh, that you won't see if you don't go there. I'm Jack, that's Spencer. We'll see you next time.